The following is an Auburn Network production. You are on the line. Live on ESPN 1067, Auburn Opelika's sports leader. Online at ESPNAU.com or on the ESPN 1067 app. To be on the line, call in at 334-321-1390 or toll free at 888-382-7502. You are on the line with Jacob Goertz. You're on the line here on ESPN 1067, Auburn Opelika Sports Leader. Happy Monday, everybody. Hope you're doing well on this Monday, October 9th, 2023. It is a gorgeous day here in Auburn and Opelika. It was a beautiful weekend all uh, weekend long. Both Saturday and Sunday uh, were just gorgeous days. And it seems like, hopefully I'm not going to jinx it or anything. I haven't looked at the weather coming up, but it seems like we have made the turn into the very short window that we call fall. And I know Alabama doesn't always get a, a fall. It seems like we typically go from a uh, hot summer to cold winter is what it seems like. Uh, but as of right now, it is gorgeous. Uh, it's perfect, sunny, 70 degrees. It's what it was all weekend. It's what it is today. Um, and so that makes me always in a better mood. And hopefully it does for you as well. And hopefully you all had a fantastic weekend. We have tons of football to talk about. Of course, Auburn uh, was on a bye week, but we have all sorts of other news around the sport to talk about in college football. Um, some NFL stuff to go over. We have a little baseball to talk about today as well as playoff baseball uh, is in full swing with the Braves disappointing with the bats per usual uh, and they have game two tonight and so uh, we got to talk about that we've got some Braves today audio for you to play and let Ben Taylor and Lindsey Crosby talk to you about that because they know it better than anybody so that's coming up today I got to recap what happened in college football over the weekend Uh, we also have Jacob Hillman of the Auburn Sports Network who will join us coming up in hour number two we'll start talking Auburn and LSU but we have some Auburn athletics to talk about because soccer had a big win over the weekend volleyball went 2-0 over the weekend including a sweep at Florida Um, so lots of things going on in Auburn athletics as well that we got to talk about and get to talk about with Jacob Hillman coming up in hour number two and so uh, should be a great show today phone lines are open what's on your mind on a Monday afternoon would love to hear from you talking results from college football over the weekend 334-321-1390 is the number to get you through to me um what games did you watch this weekend what results stuck out to you the most um disappointing teams surprising teams um anything sec college football nfl whatever you want to talk about i am here and we would love to hear from you on the show 334 321-1390. We are inside the Auburn Plaza Bar and Lounge studio. Um, and just a, a friendly reminder, of course, that the Plaza Bar and Lounge is your tie.
Tiger pregame destination uh, for all fans on Saturdays uh, during the fall. It's home of the original Warburger. Uh, the Plaza Bar offers an easy and exciting menu to go with fantastic drink specials each and every day. Uh, they've got the Plaza patio out there that you got to go check out. Tons of TVs. Uh, they've got um, great food, great drinks, just a really, really good atmosphere. And so go check them out. 800 Main Street in Midtown, just off of Opelika Road, right across the road from Niffers, right there on Opelika Road. So uh, the Plaza, they offer a happy hour from 4 to 6 each weekday, and they also have a Sunday brunch that you can check out as well. So that's the Auburn Plaza Bar in Loud. It is your pregame stop in Auburn, and we appreciate them sponsoring the studio each and every day between 2 and 4 p.m. But as I mentioned, phone lines are open. Give me a call. We'd love to hear from you and your reactions from over the weekend. And we had some really, really good football games. We had some that were blowouts. Don't get me wrong. But we had some really, really good games over the weekend on Saturday. And really, we had good games on Friday night before Saturday even got here. Uh, Lee Scott, the, the games that I call, um, they played Bessemer on Friday night. Uh, they won 41-11, to but Bessemer had some kids that could play. And so uh, they showed up and played a, a tough game, but Lee Scott was able to take care of business on senior night uh, over at Judd Scott Field. And then, of course, the, the big one here in town, it was Auburn and Opelika. Um, Auburn High School taking on Opelika High last Friday night, a game that, from what I was told, Opelika was handling business for most of that football game and then in the fourth quarter Auburn High School needed a score a stop and a score and that's exactly what they got they were down by 13 late and they came back to win it with a last second touchdown um and they ended up beating Opelika 31 to 30 in the final minute of the football game to move to 6-1 and one on the season. Auburn High playing really, really well, um, even with the injuries and stuff that they've had to deal with. Um, give credit to, to Auburn High School. 6-1, and one, a huge win in region play, a big win over your rival, and they head into the bye week feeling really good about themselves. And so, a uh, shout-out to Auburn High School. And while we're on that, I want to go ahead and give you uh, this week's Orthopedic Clinic High School Player of the Week, and it is Auburn High School's Omar Maps uh, the star running back, he accounted for 205 total yards on Friday night versus Opelika, carrying the ball 21 times for 143 of those yards and three touchdowns and he also had two catches for 22 yards and 40 kick return yards uh the tigers obviously like i mentioned they defeated opelika 31 to 30 and so omar mapson is your orthopedic clinic high school player of the week the orthopedic clinic east alabama's go-to center for orthopedic care with locations in auburn and opelika to better serve you on the web at the orthoclinic.com so congratulations to omar mapson uh 205 total yards uh between running, catching, and kick return and three touchdowns on the ground. That'll help out when you get the 31-30 to victory. So congratulations to him and to Auburn High School on Friday night as well. But then you get into Saturday. And the game of the day going into it was Oklahoma and Texas. And I think it delivered in every possible way with Oklahoma coming up with the upset win 34-30. to and this game was awesome. I mean, it was fantastic. It was back and forth, tied up 7-7 after one. You had Oklahoma with a slim three-point lead at the half. Teams were trading punches. There were good offensive plays, good defensive plays. 
Quinn Ewers uh, threw for 346, had a touchdown, two interceptions. Uh, but Dylan Gabriel was the story of the game, the quarterback for Oklahoma. And I knew I had people that were like, wait, they forgot Dylan Gabriel played at Oklahoma. And he threw for 285 and a touchdown, made some really, really good decisions. Um, and this game was, again, everything that we wanted it to be. And Oklahoma and Texas in their final year of the Big 12 flexed their muscles and showed why they're the two best teams in the Big 12 that will then become a part of the SEC. And if that doesn't scare you, then it I don't know what to tell you. It should. It absolutely should if you watch that game on Saturday because these are really, really good football teams that are going to be coming to the SEC. Great football programs, of course, but two really good teams in a game that was back and forth. Both teams had chances. Um, Texas scored late. Oklahoma then was able to get down and score themselves. And just a really, really good football game. And so credit to uh, to Oklahoma and, and Texas. And Oklahoma had the, what, the, the game-winning drive, basically, to get down there and score and win the game. And um, it, it delivered. It absolutely delivered. So they, you had that game on Saturday. Um, that was to start it off. That was 11 a.m., the first game of the day, right? And you're like, okay, how can it get any better, right? How can a game get any better than what we just saw? And you had Maryland hanging around with Ohio State for a little bit. Kyle McCord seems like he's still just not it. It's not bad, but not great, I don't think, uh, when it comes to Ohio State. Uh, they let Maryland hang around, who's a good football team, by the way. If you didn't watch that game, Maryland is a good football team. Now, are they to the level of Ohio State or Michigan? No, they're not. But Maryland's a good team, and there's a reason they hung around with Ohio State. Speaking of Michigan, they dominated once again. They look good, but I can't ever tell because they don't play anybody. Their schedule is horrible in the Big Ten. In the Big Ten. Like, it's really, really bad. Um, it's, it's just, it's really bad. But you had the Oklahoma-Texas game. Then you had Alabama- and Texas A&M you had Alabama and Texas A&M a game that was played in Kyle Field in Aggieland there in College Station a chance for A&M and Jimbo Fisher to finally get a win that they needed to avoid two losses already on the year a game that everybody had A&M winning everybody and they go cold on offense they go cold. They've shut down in the second half. And here's another thing. Jalen Milrow actually played pretty well. Jalen Milrow played pretty well for Alabama. It was tied up at three after the first quarter. A&M had a slim lead going into the half. The third quarter was the difference. The third quarter was the difference in the football game when Alabama scored 14 points and A&M Dropped a goose egg with zero. And then the fourth quarter was kind of drunk. You had five total points, a field goal for AM and a safety for Alabama. And they win 26 to 20. And this was a game where AM, it was the same thing. It's the same thing we see every year with Jimbo Fisher at Texas AM. They're an average football team. They're an average football team with way above average talent. They're an average football team with way above average talent and an average head coach. Because this was a game they needed to win. They should have won. A&M is probably the better 
well, they've got the better athletes. I'm not going to say they're the better team because I don't think they're a good team. But they've got playmakers. They've got dudes that can play. And you can see that on both sides of the ball. But man, Alabama stepped up and shut down Texas A&M's offense. And they just couldn't score. They got in the red zone and couldn't score Did Texas A&M. And I heard Jimbo talk about that a little bit today in his weekly press conference, but man, what a disappointment yet again for Texas A&M in a game that they felt they could win. They felt they were the better team. And you go in, you're at home, 2.30, on CBS. You had everything in your corner. And yet, you just disappoint and fall short yet again. And pull up any graphic you want. At this point in their careers, Kevin Sumlin and Jimbo Fisher are the exact same coach at Texas A&M. Look it up. The records are the same. The numbers are the same. Everything is the same. Jimbo Fisher is an average head coach, and they're paying him $10 million to go 8-4. and four. It's unbelievable. Unbelievable. With the amount of talent they have every single year, because A&M recruits itself borderline, with the money that they have and the resources they have and the facilities that they have. And yet, Texas A&M, they are okay with paying $10 million to go 8-4 and four every year. It's crazy. It's unbelievable. Credit to him. Credit to him. He's got to have the most stressless job I've seen because everybody just seems to be okay with it. They're like, yeah, 8-4 and four is fine. When, you know... Win the games you're supposed to, and when it comes to the big ones, nah, don't worry about it. And here we are again. Saturday was a perfect example of that. And credit to Alabama for winning a game that not a lot of people had them winning. It didn't look pretty at times, right? But Jalen Milrow did it again. He delivered again, and Alabama wins the football game. You had some other games that were just kind of crazy on Saturday, just kind of going through the top 10, top 25. Is USC bad? Can we talk about that for a second? If you stayed up and watched this crazy game, is USC bad defensively or are they just bad in general? It took three overtimes to beat Arizona, who is better than I think people gave them credit for, but they're not a good team. I was texting Daryl Daprich, who's a, a big Arizona guy, just Arizona, the, the state in general, and I was texting him and I was like, what is happening here? And it took three overtimes for the Heisman Trophy winning Caleb Williams and some crazy plays at the end to escape with a win over Arizona. And look, you're going to have a game like this here and there, but this is not the first time that USC has looked bad. They're not good defensively. And when they play the likes of a Washington or an Oregon, or God forbid if they get to the playoff and have to play a Michigan that's going to run it down their throat, I think they're going to get exposed. So USC, they win. Give them credit, they win. But it didn't look pretty against Arizona. How about another example of pure disappointment on the biggest stage? Top 10 Notre Dame goes on the road to undefeated Louisville now. And if you haven't been paying attention, Louisville was 5-0 on a top 25 team. Notre Dame goes into this thing the much better team, the much better quarterback. You have Sam Hartman, who's been putting up Heisman-like numbers and getting Heisman hype 
all season long. You go into this game, it's a chance for you to bounce back if you're Notre Dame. It's a chance for you to get a decent win. You're the better football team. And in prime time, a top 25 matchup, Notre Dame did it again. Notre Dame did Notre Dame things. And they let Louisville, who is now 6-0, beat them 33-20. And three interceptions from Sam Hartman doesn't help. So there goes Notre Dame's chances to do anything. They were a top 10 team. They're now 5-2 with losses to Louisville and Ohio State. And the loss to Ohio State doesn't look as good because they struggle with Maryland this weekend. Kind of crazy. College football is just kind of crazy right now, is it not? And it seems like this is one of the most unknown seasons so far. And what I mean by that is, right now, in your mind, before we get to break, let's just start with this. Who's the best team in college football right now? Who is it? I think we had a little bit of separation this weekend at the top with Georgia after what they did to Kentucky and Michigan with what they continue to do. But can anybody confidently say there is one really great team in college football that no matter who they play would win? I think there's a real struggle to find that team right now. Sure, it's probably Georgia and Michigan, but I'm not sure. I mean, Auburn almost beat Georgia. Now they turned around and, and did unspeakable things to Kentucky, but... Auburn was right there with Georgia, and Hugh Freeze talked about it today, and we'll talk about it a little bit later, how there were 10 plays that if Auburn did something right on half of them, you win the game, or even on a third of them, you probably win the game. So Georgia is beatable. And as I mentioned with Michigan, I don't know because they're playing high school teams. So who's the best team in college football right now in your mind? Give me a call. Love to hear from you. 334-321-1390. We have some more games to talk about. We'll answer that question as well, and I would love to hear from you on a Monday afternoon. 334-321-1390. We'll continue to recap the weekend in college football when we come back. You are on the line on ESPN 1067. Online at ESPNAU.com or on the ESPN 1067 app. All right, back inside the studio here at ESPN 106.7 for the Monday edition of On the Line. Doing a little recap Monday, overreaction Monday maybe, if you want to call it that. Um, One other game that I forgot to mention. Oh, There's two other games I forgot to mention. Oh my goodness, I forgot about this one. We'll talk about the SEC game first, and then we'll talk about another game that was just absolutely ridiculously dumb that uh, happened late Saturday night and was just unbelievable but want to talk about the SEC game first and it was another 11 a.m. game early kick right it was one we talked about going in was probably going to be really really good and it did end up being really really good LSU and Missouri right top 25 matchup a Tiger Bowl if you will LSU on the road they're in Como Um, we expected an offensive shootout and that's pretty much what we got Um, you had Jaden Daniels and LSU on one side and Brady Cook and Missouri on the other and Jaden Daniels did Jaden Daniels things and Auburn this week is gonna have to find a way to slow him down I don't know how I really don't. And Hugh Freeze said today, because I asked him this exact question, because I gave him the stats, because here's what Jaden Daniels did on Saturday. 
15 of 21 for 259 and three touchdowns through the air. That's what he did. And it's unbelievable. LSU had 533 total yards, zero turnovers, and they dominated, well, they heavily, I should say, had the time of possession won. And I asked Hugh Freeze today, I said, he also, Jaden Daniels also on the ground, had 15 carries for 130 yards. It's ridiculous and a touchdown for what this guy's doing right now. And so I asked him today, I said, Coach Freeze, I said, through six games, Jaden Daniels has almost 2,000 yards passing. He's 31 yards short of 2,000 yards passing. I said he has almost 2,000 yards through the air, 19 touchdowns, and just two interceptions. I said, what's the game plan to stop him this weekend? How do you line up and stop him? And Hugh Free said, basically, with Jaden Daniels in the offense, you don't stop him. There is no stopping them. He said the goal for us is going to be to hold them to field goals. And honestly, it's not a bad game plan because, look, nobody's been able to stop them yet, right? Look at what their offense is doing. It's ridiculous. Outside of, outside of Florida State and opening weekend, LSU has scored 72, 41, 34, 49, and 49. That's insane. Now, their defense gives up just as many, if not more, but their offense is ridiculous. And so, on Saturday against Missouri, it was a shootout, and Missouri hung in this football game, and Missouri deserves a lot of credit for that. I know it was their first loss, but Brady Cook had a couple of interceptions that didn't help. He had to throw the ball 47 times. He was 30 of 47. He did throw for 400 yards, had two touchdowns and two interceptions. And so credit to Missouri, who I still think is a good team. Are they going to win the East? No. But they're still a good team. And they lost by 10, but it was an LSU pick six at the end of the game that made it so. This was a one-score game. All the way through, it was a one-score game. And LSU finds a way and literally just outscored Missouri to win the game. So credit to them. Credit to LSU for getting a big win before coming home this week and playing Auburn. The other game that happened late Saturday night that it was the biggest what-are-you-doing moment ever was the old Miami Hurricanes playing Georgia Tech, hosting Georgia Tech and this game was so ugly it was terrible it was three nothing Miami at the half I mean it was terrible then both teams scored a little bit in the third quarter and both teams scored a little bit in the fourth quarter but Miami had the football with the lead and all they had to do was take a knee and the clock would have ran out the game would have been over and they would have escaped with an ugly win at home over a mediocre Georgia Tech team. But instead, head coach Mario Cristobal and the Miami Hurricanes, they decide, you know what, instead of taking a knee and running the clock out, we're going to run it straight up the middle and hope nothing goes wrong. Well, what's the only thing in that situation that can go wrong? You have the lead, the clock's about to run out, and you run the football. What's the only thing that can happen is you fumble. Well, guess what? He fumbled. The running back fumbled. Great play by Georgia Tech defensively. 
bad game planning for Miami, just bad coaching by Miami, and he fumbled. A couple of plays later, the defense broke down, and Georgia Tech hit a bomb down the right side, and he scored to win the football game. It was insane. The worst coaching decision I think I've ever seen. The worst game management I think I've ever seen. Isn't that just Miami? That's just, that just encompasses what Miami has been for the last five or six years. And after that, that's just such a deflating loss for Miami. A team that people were starting to put some ACC title hopes on. And then you take a horrible loss to Georgia Tech. The season's not over by any means. But now you have to turn around and play North Carolina and then play Clemson and you still have Florida State and Louisville on the schedule? Yikes. What a disaster it was there in Miami, which their stadium always, you know, it's only 40% full anyway, so at least not a ton of people were there to see it, but that was on national television. It was pretty bad. It was pretty bad. And really just capped off what was a wild weekend in college football. But again, I ask you this question. Who's the best team in college football? I think it's hard to pinpoint it. Trying to make a legitimate top five right now. It's really, really difficult to do. We'll talk some more college football later on in the show, but when we come back, we got to talk some playoff baseball as the Braves went to sleep in game one. They've got game two coming up tonight in Atlanta. We have some Braves Today podcast with Ben Taylor and Lindsey Crosby to get you ready for game two coming up. Jacob Goins on ESPN 1067, Auburn Opelika's sports leader. Halfway through hour number one here on the Monday edition of On the Line, the show that tells you like it is and holds nothing back. I'm Jacob Goins with you on ESPN 1067. Well, I'm going to let these two gentlemen tell you about game one from Atlanta and Philly in the in the NLDS of the playoffs uh, for MLB, where the Braves' bats just fell asleep, didn't score a single run. They lose 3 nothing after a great start from uh, Spencer Strider. So Ben Taylor, Lindsey Crosby from the Braves Today podcast, they'll talk about game one, get you ready for game two tonight in Atlanta and want to let you know uh, that it is Monday and with game two we have access to that being an ESPN affiliate and we're actually going to carry game two for you live today starting at five o'clock sharp at the top of the five o'clock hour which means uh, just one hour of the drive today we're going to bump that second hour coming out of the bye week for Auburn and we want to make sure we get you game two of the Braves and Phillies tonight right here on ESPN 106.7 so that'll start at five o'clock and Ben Taylor, Lindsey Cross from Braves today get you ready for it he's Lindsey Crosby I'm Ben Taylor and it is panic at the truest is the way I label this when I sent it to Lindsey and I don't know if it's time to panic yet or not but I think a lot of Braves fans are I don't know that the team will Lindsey your thoughts on that it's this was as close to the must win as you were going to get in this series, right? Because you had the pitching advantage. You had Spencer Strider, a healthy Spencer Strider, and you were not having to face Wheeler or Nola. But when you look at some of the stuff that happened in this game, okay, Atlanta has five hits, no runs. Phillies have six hits and three runs. Atlanta walks three times. Philly walks four. Like, 
the the production in all of the areas outside of runs was remarkably close to one another. And to me, this is that kind of reminder that everything is such a small sample size in the postseason and luck Mm -hmm. plays such a big role. A couple of Atlanta's hitters had balls absolutely on the screws, but it goes right to Trey Turner or like it's hit right at somebody. And so obviously you can't just rest on your laurels. You can't say, yeah, that was good enough to win most of the time. But I don't think it's panic time yet because you and Philly performed about the same, but they got lucky and you didn't. And like every possible manner, whether it was what was overturned on replay versus what wasn't, whether it was bounces of the ball, whether it was pitching changes working out, Philly got lucky with just about every single thing that happened and Atlanta didn't. (laughs) And so don't panic, but like you're going to have to go win two games in Philly unless you want to come back on a do or die game five and truest. So it's not great, but it's not panic yet. The reason I say don't panic and every brave fan that's listening to this right now is saying you're an idiot. And that's because this is an opportunity for the brave, the braves, as you just said, the few balls they did hit hard, they hit right at somebody. Something has got to fall. If it doesn't start to fall, then that's just more along the lines of luck than it is anything else because you and I have talked about that. All you have to do is put the ball in play hard, and usually good things happen. Tonight, the good things happened to Philadelphia, not to Atlanta. Now, Harper Harper, of course, he got his home run, but to get beat three to nothing, you and I have talked about it at all times throughout the year. Atlanta can put up a sixth spot at any time. And I understand that everybody goes, well, not with this pitching. Let me tell you something. This was – it turned out to be genius by the Philadelphia management and by the staff because Lindsay and I talked about this and texted about this leading into the game. I thought it was really weird that they took a guy that had one hard-hit ball on him and yanked him mm-hmm. in the third inning. And it turned out – and they even said – the announcers, Frank Kuhl was one of the ones they said that they visited with – the staff prior and Philly staff said, this is an opportunity having a day off where we will throw as many as we need to out of the bullpen because we'll be able to get the rest out of them. And it worked out for them. It could have completely backfired, which I think that one thing that did, I did not agree with the lineup change. You made great points of why the lineup change should have taken place. I just think that Braves or not just Braves, but I think that players are very, OCD and have their way about them and the change, which I'm sure they will support their manager on, but I still think it may have made a little bit of a difference. Yeah. And before the lineup change, back it up just a second, the, the multiple pitching changes that all worked like mm. that is, that's another example of luck. Like look at Orion Kirkring. I've talked about him on locked in MLB prospects. We've written about him uh, for the prospect stuff but he had three career major league appearances and they put him into the seventh inning of a playoff game. And not only did it work, he got through the inning on eight pitches. Like that's the example of everything went correct for Philly in this game. So like this, like luck eventually evens out. The hard part about the NLDS is it's only at max a five game series and you don't always have time for luck to even out on a five-game series. Over the span of a season, you see the luck evens out. Five-game series, I don't know. But on on the, the lineup change, I understand why they did it, right? Oh, I do too. I yeah. do too. <laughs> Can't, I mean, it's, it's, and the natural reaction is to say, well, like, you know, creatures of habit, 
they they haven't been doing this all year. Don't make them do it now. But like when you go back and you look at the actual game, Austin Riley goes. I'm oh, sorry, Ronald Acuna Jr. over three, but he walks, so he gets on at least once. Austin Riley moved to the two hole, one for four. He gets on once. Matt Olson, one for four. He gets on once. Ozzy Albies is one for three with a walk and a fielder's choice. He got on three times. Mm-hmm. And so it's not necessarily like it, it It didn't. You can't point to something where you say, hey, that worked. But you also can't really point to something where you can say, hey, it didn't work. To me, the bigger issue was Atlanta had op- had opportunities earlier in the game with runners in scoring position, and they didn't put the ball in play. They struck out. Uh, there was Michael Harris struck out, I want to say, with the bases loaded. Yes. And then Atlanta got runners, got two runners on with one out, and they had a, a and they had two strikeouts. Ronald Acuna Jr. struck out, and then Austin Riley struck out. And then later you saw them start to put the ball in play in those same situations, but it was a sack fly by Matt Olson and then a double play ball by Marcelo Zuna. And so you look at all of those scoring position opportunities, Atlanta put the ball in play twice. And so because of it, they go 0 for 5, it's runners in scoring position, and they leave 7 on base, and they lose by 3. So it's just the inability to make contact because Philly's throwing all of their best relievers because mm-hmm. they don't have to play a game tomorrow. That was, the, that was the turning point of this game. You mentioned Ronald Acuna. A little over-aggressive the first few times at the plate. Yeah, it's it's there was a lot of conversation uh, leading into the game, a lot of writing done by different places. I don't think we did one on this, but about how Ronald Acuna, this is the first time he's been in the postseason <coughs> and completely healthy since like 2019. And so I think some of that's just him pressing a little bit. It's just mm-hmm. a little bit mental. He's he's wanting to put his mark on the postseason like he put his mark on the regular season. And it's unfortunately not always going to work out, especially against a team that is analytically inclined like the Phillies that made a point of diagnosing and doing whatever would work best against the tendencies they happened to notice this team had. And one of those was first pitch swings. They didn't throw him, I believe, anything hittable in the first pitch in any of his at-bats. And you see one of the few games where not only is he hitless, but he struck out, which he rarely struck out this year. He cut that strikeout rate by more than half. And so something where settled down a little bit, Get your, you know, your feet underneath you. Let's try this again, uh, maybe with a little more back to your usual in-season strategy versus whatever that was tonight. Is it more mental than anything? Is he pressing a little bit because of the way he did not do very well last year in the postseason? And maybe he's thinking he's got a little bit of pressure on him because even when he got on with the walk, I fully expected him. Now, you don't want to run yourself out of an inning, but I fully expected him with a righty on the mound to try and take second, and he didn't. That worked out fine because he still got around. He ended up getting on third, just the Braves never did anything with it. Yeah, and I was surprised that he didn't necessarily um, uh, take off for third when he was on second earlier in the game, too. But, um, no, it's it's. I think some of it is probably him pressing a little bit mentally simply because he, you know, I mean, he he set a bunch of records. He's arguably the face of baseball right now with everything that he did. Mm -hmm. And so there's a little bit of mental pressure to like, Hey, I have to perform. I have to do my job. I have to do all this amazing stuff. And it's, it's, it would be ridiculous to assume that he was immune from that because everybody's subject to it in some way or another, even the the stars. And so I think it's just first time in four years, he's been healthy entering the postseason. I mean, he's been fully healthy and back to the Ronald Jr. We know. And so probably just 
got a little bit out in front of his skis and needs to reel it back in a little bit. It wasn't just him, though, Lindsey. It was every one of them in the first two innings. Everybody was going after that first pitch. I don't know if maybe with Suarez they were looking at what they saw earlier in the year and maybe the scouting report said he's going to float one over the middle to try to get ahead of you, try to jump on top of it. The Phillies switched it up a little bit because you saw he started off with a lot of sliders Mm -hmm. and a lot of off speed instead of starting off with fastballs. On the other end of things, Strider just the opposite, as you saw in the very first inning. Atlanta got out of it, but – they went up there swinging because they knew that he was going to try to get ahead of you with that with that first pitch fastball. Yeah, Spencer Strider's not as hard to plan for as a lot of other pitchers because there's not a lot he's going to do to fool you, right? You know he's throwing a fastball or a slider almost every time. I think, I think he threw 93 pitches in this game and all but six were fastball or slider. Like, mm-hmm. you know what he's going to do. The challenge is timing it up, getting the bat in the right spot to get a barrel on it, to get a hit. It's not figuring it out. You don't have to work out what's he, what, what he's going to do to you. And so I think with Spencer Strider, you're going to have situations where like Bryce Harper comes up and says, okay, first two at-bats, I got a first pitch fastball every time. He knows that. He's going to throw me a slider. I'm going to sit slider and get a home run. Like you're going to have things like that happen, I feel like, with a guy like a Spencer Strider when you face a team that has really good analytics and can really kind of diagnose what you've done all season, what you've done against their lineup in the past and things like that. So it's, you know, the Braves did a good job early of minimizing the runs that Philly could score. I mean, they had, they had runners in the past. It felt like every, I think Strider only had one inning that was a one, two, three inning. They were doing a really good job of getting, doing the most damage they could do on those pitches. And it landed a really good job defensively, whether it was the stolen base or the caught stealing at second base, whether it was the double play in the first inning at getting out of that and minimizing the damage. But a couple of those are going to get through. And that's where you expect the number one offense in baseball to pick you up. And they weren't able to do that. You mentioned the uh, caught stealing at second place with Ozzy. I don't, I don't know if he was caught or not. I just don't know how that play stands. And then a little bit later in the game, I don't want to think that Sean Murphy's reaction helped sell the fact that maybe it hit his glove, but it probably may have helped when they were looking at the review because I did not see anything in either one of those that should have overturned a call. Well, that should have overturned Ozzy's or should have stood with Rio Muto when he um, swung and fouled the ball off. Now, even they said sound, I didn't even hear the double hit. I'm not real sure, but apparently Sean Murphy felt like he hit it just the way he reacted. Yeah, postgame quote from Murphy came out j- just a few minutes ago that Murphy thought he touched the bat. It didn't look like it on replay. He didn't feel it. He didn't hear it, but he thought that he touched the bat, and that's why you didn't see him arguing when they called that. But it was a really weird We've we've heard for so long, like all season about how you have to have like indisputable video evidence to overturn the call on the mm-hmm. field. And we've seen so many of them stand. And then to see the stolen base get overturned when it wasn't obvious at all that it was the wrong call was a little bit confusing. I'm not trying to make it sound like we're blaming the umpires. No, that not was, at all. Yeah, yeah. That was yeah. weird. But at the same time, I mean. Atlanta lost this game to Philly. Philly Philly won this game, but that was a weird moment. And it's one of those, it's heightened in the postseason, right? You have six, you have six umpires, you have the best of the best crews in there, and you you made the best call you could have made in real time at second base, but then you blew the review 
when you went to New York. And that's just it's kind of hard to reconcile that with it's the postseason. Things are supposed to be right. And it's weird. Correct. I mean, that's what replay's for. Your replay is to get it right. That's the whole yeah. reason it was implemented. And, uh, and, and I, I was to me, with, oh, sorry. I, I was I was saying I was texting with a buddy of mine, and I said, because he was complaining about the Aussie call, and I said, yeah, but it, they ended up getting the Olsen call right because that was obvious. It looks like that second base umpire just had a really rough night tonight. He was on that one. I saw the replay. He was watching the ball. He wasn't watching Olsen's feet. And I think I it was you. something where he expected the throw to beat Olsen. So he was making sure he caught it first. And to me, replay should exist to fix an obviously wrong call. You Correct. shouldn't be slow motion frame by frame. It should be something like that Olsen play where you look at it and you're like, oh, yeah, he was safe. Let's, let's overturn that and keep going. If you have to take a couple minutes and look at five or six different angles and slow it down frame by frame. Just stick with, with what was on the field and keep going. And that's why the overturn on Ozzy was so weird because it was, I think the original call was right and it was close enough where it could have just stood and been fine. But for some reason they saw something that made him change it. And that just was weird to me. And, and credit Trey Turner for running off the field and helping sell it because uh, just the opposite happened behind the plate as Murphy did not sell it. He sold it in the wrong way. So that just lets you know to kind of keep your cool about you and, and do what you're supposed to be doing. Lindsay, is this going to be a team that because of the way Philadelphia is swinging the bat and against one of Atlanta's top pitchers in Strider, is Atlanta going to have to out hit Philly, not necessarily out pitch them? Or is it going to have to be that team that we've expected to see all year that pick that puts up four, five, six, seven runs a game? I think game two, you could see a closer matchup simply because you have Max Fried up there, right? So you could win a 3-2 game or something like that on, on game two. But outside of that, yeah, you're going to have to out-hit Philly in this one. You're going to have to you're going to have to take Philly's strategy from last year of ball go boom. You got to get that offense working. And that's, I mean, there's legitimate cause for concern here because you've got Zach Wheeler on the mound on Monday and then you got Aaron Nola in game three. And Atlanta is going to have to score more runs than obviously they did today if they want to win the game. Um, but it's going to have to be driven by the offense now. You can't necessarily count for sure on being able to have Max Fried for a game five. You know, he's he said every all the right stuff in media availability. He said he was fine. He said his finger felt fine. He said he was going to be able to come back out and pitch on game five if he needed to. But we don't know that. And so Atlanta's offense has to pick it up so that you don't have to go into a game five not knowing if you have Max Fried or not. They said something in the broadcast that absolutely shocked me. First time a team that has led the majors in runs uh, throughout the season shut out in game one since 2001. That was the Mariners. I think they said 1935 was the other one with the, the Tigers. Tigers. Yeah. So uh, tough look and, uh, and shut out of all places at Truist, which just does not happen. I put this in the takeaways this year. This is the third time in 2023 that Atlanta has been shut out. They were shut out in April on the 19th versus the Padres, mm -hmm. and they were shut out in May 12th versus the Blue Jays. But both of those were on the road. This was the first shutout of the Atlanta Braves in Truist Park in 2023. So not a thing we're used to seeing, and that's part of the reason why I'm not necessarily panicking yet, because it feels like it's okay. It was a little bit like it felt like a little bit fluky with all the replay reviews that were changed with mm -hmm. the weird ways that runs were scored. The error on Spencer Strider that comes back around the score, the catcher's interference. 
and all the hard hit balls by Atlanta that didn't fall. And so that's why I'm not panicking. But yeah, it wasn't great. And now you've probably got to go win. You've, you've got to go probably win two in Citizens Bank Park if you want to advance to the NLCS. It's not great. And I will say this. Looked a little dead, and I'm not talking just players. It looked like Truist was not quite as loud as it usually is. So uh, come Monday, I would like to see the fans kind of step it up a little bit, make it where even if Philly gets a lead, make it uncomfortable like they did throughout the regular season with teams that would come in where even in the bottom of the ninth, if you're down 6-1, to one, you still have an opportunity to come back because I do think this team feeds off of that energy. Now, this was the largest um, the largest crowd in Truist Park history. And we saw some of the issues with that when there was the catcher's interference call and things being thrown on the field, <laughs> out in the outfield. And to me, it was kind of dumb because, like, it's your team on the field right now. Like, yeah. your pitcher's on the mound. Pierce Johnson's getting iced right now because you're throwing things on the field after he had to sit through a replay review. And then some things were, like, landing in the bullpen, like landing in your own bullpen while your guys are throwing. Yeah. It's kind of, kind of dumb. But, um, yeah, no, it's... Uh, Part of me is hoping that because of the distractions of, fo- of football, college football, Georgia playing at the exact same time as Correct. this game on Saturday, that hopefully Monday's a better atmosphere. We saw last year and the year before Atlanta have good atmosphere, even for day games on Mondays and stuff. And so you get a primetime game. Let's bring the noise on Monday. Let's make Philly uncomfortable. Let's get a win and even the series before we head back to Philadelphia. Your pick for Monday? Uh, I'm going to go with Atlanta in a close one simply because I think it's the worst case scenario if Atlanta loses and I think they'll do anything they have to to win on Monday. I'm going to go complete opposite. I think Atlanta wins like seven to one or seven to two and the bats come alive because they finally wake up and make things happen. So Lindsay, as always, thank you, sir. Thank you. So that is the Braves Today podcast recorded, uh, I think, Saturday night or either that or Sunday morning with Ben Taylor and Lindsey Crosby, uh, recapping game one of the Atlanta Braves and previewing game two between the Braves and the Phillies and the NLDS tonight. And again, we are carrying that live here on ESPN 106.7. Five o'clock is when first pitch is. Uh, we are bumping the second hour of the drive, and we're going to carry that for you in game two here on ESPN 106.7. So we got to get to our final break really quickly. We'll come back wrap up hour number one with a really small segment and then get into hour number two would love to hear from you 334-321-1390 you are on the line on espn 1067 call in at 334-321-1390 or toll free at 888-382-7502 Well, I told you it'd be a quick break, and it's going to be a quick segment as well, but we'll get into hour number two coming up in just a few minutes. But again, uh, we are uh, carrying game two of the NLDS between the Phillies and the Braves. Uh, First pitch set for around 5.07. Normally, if you listen to any of our live events broadcasts here on the station, we carry the pregame and the actual game itself. But today, uh, the, the pregame starts in the first hour of the drive, but what we're going to do with it being Monday, uh, with it being Monday coming out of the bye week for Auburn, right? Um, there's football to talk about, but there's no Auburn to talk about. And so uh, we made the decision to, uh, we get the opportunity to carry it, and we really, really want to have that for you. So we are going to have the first hour of the drive from four to five and then right at five o'clock we're going to pick up uh the broadcast with espn radio and we'll have first pitch for you between braves and phillies game two tonight in the nlds um you heard ben and Lindsay talking about it this is a 
a borderline must-win game for the Braves. I mean, if you go down 0-2 at home and then have to make a trip to Philly, win both games there, and come back for a must-win game five, I mean, you're just you're asking for trouble, man. And it's crazy. One of the best offenses to ever be put on the field in Major League Baseball went cold and got shut out in game one. I expect this to be a big game tonight for the Braves. I'm taking the Braves big. I'll say 8-3 to three is my score prediction for the Braves, and you can find that here on ESPN 106.7, 5 o'clock with a 5.07 first pitch. And when we come back, hour number two, we'll talk college football plus Jacob Hillman of the Auburn Sports Network joins us coming up at hour number two. ESPN 106.7, Auburn Opelika's sports leader. Online at ESPNAU.com or on the ESPN 106.7 app. To be on the line, call in at 334-321-1390 or toll free at 888-382-7502. You are on the line with Jacob Goertz. You're on the line here on ESPN 106.7, Auburn Opelika's sports leader. Happy Monday, everybody. Hope you're doing well as we get underway here in hour number two on the Monday edition of On the Line, the show that tells you like it is and holds nothing back. I'm Jacob Goins with you on ESPN 106.7. If you missed any of our number one, you know the drill at this point. You can go and find the podcast wherever you get your podcast. We post it commercial free right after the show each and every day. Uh, we talked a lot of college football coming out of the weekend. Of course, Auburn out of the bye week, so uh, nothing too uh, too significant to talk about. I have a few things to mention when it comes to uh, Hugh Freeze's press conference today. We'll get to that in just a little bit. Uh, but in the first hour, talked about all the different games that happened in college football. Also had uh, some audio from the latest Braves Today podcast with Ben Taylor, Lindsey Crosby, uh, as they recapped Game One in the loss for the Atlanta Braves and previewed Game Two, which we will carry live here on ESPN 106.7 tonight, starting right at five o'clock. We're going to bump the second hour of the drive uh, with Bill and Dan, and we're going to carry right from first pitch uh, Braves and Phillies game two in the NLDS on ESPN Radio. So excited to have that for you tonight. And uh, if you missed a, a great episode, them recapping game one and previewing game two on the Braves Today podcast, go and check that out in our podcast later today. But here in hour number two, we're about to get to the phone lines. They are open. Would love to hear from you. Your thoughts coming out of the weekend. Your thoughts moving into yet another week of Auburn football. I uh, would love to get your thoughts. We want to talk a little baseball. Would love to hear from you on that as well. 334-321-1390 is the number to get you through to me. And then later on in the show, we're going to have Jacob Hillman from the Auburn Sports Network who will join us to talk all things Auburn athletics that happened over the weekend. So let's get to the phone lines here to start off hour number two three three four three two one thirteen ninety and Terry, you're on the line man how are you doing great jacob how you doing man i'm doing good what's on your mind jacob i think the best case for holden garner to be auburn's quarterback was made this saturday and auburn didn't even play okay now let me tell you let me tell you why the two things 
First of all, Hugh Freeze seems to be going with the youth movement, which I like, and who better to go with than a young guy that can develop? Mm-hmm. Number two, Jalen Milrose looked like a second coming of Dan Marino against Texas A&M, and Peyton Thorne couldn't even complete a pass. Yeah, Milrose definitely – he definitely played so, better this weekend. If he can go in there and do a 300-yard game or better, then why, then, then, then that, that says – that cements the by, by case even more. Yeah, I mean, it's crazy. This is a pivotal week because you had the bye week. It seemed like Peyton played pretty well in the Georgia game. I mean, I think in Power 5, obviously, it's the best game he's played in in blue and orange. Um, And it's interesting, Terry, because Hugh Freeze said today, you know, there were a lot of situations where Peyton Thorne made the perfect throw, made the best throw. We talked about this Right, late last week when I got back from being sick, and I know Bill and Dan and, and Doug talked about this too, but like Peyton Thorne made the throws last weekend against Georgia, and receivers couldn't make the plays. They dropped them. But here's the thing too that Hugh Freeze mentioned. He said there were a lot of a lot of instances where the coaching staff let Peyton Thorne down because they didn't have the right protection in place. And I thought that was really, really interesting. And so this is a really pivotal week, in my opinion. If Peyton Thorne in the offense can get going against what is a terrible LSU defense, of course, they'll probably have the game of their life this weekend. But if Auburn can find a way to get more confidence and score the ball and move the ball this weekend, then I'm okay with staying with Peyton Thorne. But if it's another struggle bus, yeah, I mean, I think you got to start looking at the youth movement, like you called it, and start looking ahead to next season where you're going to have a legitimate quarterback battle, and you hope that Holden Garner's a part of it. LSU LSU's already lost two games and could have and should have in some instances lost to Missouri on Saturday. Mm-hmm. And every team has run down the field on them. So if Auburn goes on their struggles to score 20 points and has difficulty making first downs then that makes my point even further yeah no i think you're absolutely right i think you're absolutely right down the field it's everybody they've played everybody they've played it is and that's what i'm saying like this is a huge opportunity for auburn to now it doesn't help that lsu won the game so they do have that you know mentality and they have that little positivity coming out of it but this is, has to be a chance for Auburn to really do some special things on offense because everybody else has. I mean, even Mississippi State, I mean, they didn't look great, I, and that was a really good defensive game for LSU, but Arkansas moved the ball. We saw Ole Miss do it quite a bit. Missouri obviously did it, and so this is a chance for Auburn, who runs the ball really well, to get out of a rut and maybe build a little momentum moving forward in the rest of the season offensively. Now, Jacob, didn't um... – Ole Miss put up over 700 yards on on LSU? I think so, yeah. Well, they have 55 points, and yeah, I think they had over 700 total yards, of 706 to be exact. And I know every team, for the most part, even Mississippi had some consistency, but every team has run up down the field on them. Yeah. And and it's just going to really bother me and get up on my skin. It should irritate all Auburn fans if they go to there and lay an egg. Now, I'm not saying they're going to, and I certainly don't hope they do, but this is a chance, like you stated, this chance to come out of that shell a little bit and, and do all things you need need to do especially out of a bye week terry especially out of a bye week even a better you're coming out of a bye week against a team that those does not know how to play defense at all yep it's a perfect opportunity perfect opportunity so that's why i'm i'm more if Jalen milrose can go into texas a&m with over 300 plus and peyton thorne can't even complete a pass and he hadn't thrown for 50 yards or 100 yards in the game probably through for 50 against texas a&m come on yeah, I mean that 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 further cements my argument right there. Yeah, I'm with you. I think if if it happens again Saturday, then yeah, you have to have some serious reflection on the quarterback spot. 
Appreciate it, Jacob. Yeah, Take appreciate care. it, Tara. Great to hear from you. 334-321-1390. And we will go ahead and go to Dak, who has been waiting as well. Dak, you're on the line, man. What's up? Hey, Jacob. Good to hear from you today. Yeah, good to hear Beautiful from you, man. Day. Yeah, before I go into the Auburn-LSU matchup, did you did you see the Alabama-Texas A&M game and how many holding calls that were missed? Yes. <laughs> it was unbelievable. Yes. It, it really is kind of crazy at this point, isn't it? I don't know if after the Auburn-Texas A&M game that the officiating got together and they said, hey, we're not going to call no more holding calls for the rest of the season because, you know, we didn't get any against Georgia. Mm-hmm. And Alabama, I counted at least six times where it was such a bad hold that a high school ref could have called it. Yeah. And they didn't call it. It seems like, and I'm not, I'm not, I promise you, I am not saying this with blue and orange glasses on right now. It does seem like Alabama has a lot of holding that never gets called. I just, it just seems like a scheme that they run and a, and a technique that they teach. I don't know if that's what's happening or not, Dak, but it really does seem like that happens more times than not. Where they'll get some holding calls, sure, but it seems like they hold all the time and it just hardly ever gets called. Right. The surprising ones that they didn't call was when he got out of the pocket and the the uh, Alabama lineman just grabbed the guy. Yeah, Twice he hugged him right there in front of the ref, and it wasn't called. But you know, I'm, I'm not, I'm not saying this because I look through orange and blue glasses as well. I mean, it was just obvious on the TV screen. Mm-hmm. But, uh, but anyway, the other thing I want to comment about the A&M game and Alabama game is their playmakers made the plays when they needed to. Yep, and that's what we don't have. I mean. I mean, how many times have you seen Burton drop balls? He, he's not a consistent player either. But on Saturday, when he touched the ball, he caught the ball. And that's what we got to have. we got to have more consistency out of our receivers that when it goes uncontested by DB, we have to catch the football. Yeah. Period. You're absolutely right. Look, Jermaine Burton, he, he really separated himself as receiver one for Alabama. What do you have? Nine catches. I think he was close to 200 yards and a couple touchdowns. And then you had Isaiah Bond, who really made himself as wide receiver two. And here's the problem, Dak. Auburn hasn't had that. You're absolutely right. Auburn has not had anybody outside of Fairweather to step up and be that guy. And but, he, but he's not consistent. No. He drops as many balls as he catches. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's what it seems like, unfortunately. And, you know, I think that's what the bye week was about. Um, I think Hugh Freeze talked today about self-reflection, right, and self-evaluation, um, talking with kids, talking with their parents. He said all the assistant coaches made calls to families this week, not in a bad way or anything, just, you know, checking in and reality checks, right? I mean, that's what the bye week is supposed to be about is, is self-reflection and there's got to be some accountability and there's got to be somebody step up, not just in the receiver room, in a lot of different areas, Dak. And I think that's what this bye week was for Auburn. Well, one of the things that I'm not seeing that nobody talks about is we're not getting any production from our tight ends at all. And I thought that was going to be one of our positives because we had so many uh, that could play at, that, at, at this point. And, I mean, how many catches have the tight ends had all season at this point? It's a good question. I, I don't know the exact number. I mean, it's not. I mean, it's not a ton by by any means. Right. Right. I hope. I hope that that in our recruiting that we go out there and try to find somebody on the scales of, you know, Georgia has two monster tight ends that that are basically wideouts but have the size of tight ends. Mm-hmm. 
LSU offensively and defensive line-wise. So I don't want people to get down if we go down there and lay an egg or, you know, get beat. Because if we can stay together, we can win those last six games. I'm not saying we can't beat LSU. But out, out of the last three weeks, I felt like we matched up with Georgia better than we did the other two. And if, if we go down there and we don't get a W, we don't need to panic because we can win the last six games. We match up with everybody else on our schedule, and they're at home. Mm-hmm. What's your thoughts on that? Yeah, I mean, well, to, to go back to your tight end thing really quick, you know, Fairweather is technically a tight end. I, I think Auburn yeah, uses it. catching balls from the tight end. Though. Right, exactly, exactly. I mean, he technically he is listed. He's being used as a receiver more than anything because there are no other receivers that have stepped up. And so, um, yeah, Auburn has to find a way to, to get him involved from that tight end spot. But when you talk about Auburn just lining up with, with A&M and with Georgia and now LSU this weekend, compared to what they're going to see in the back half of this schedule um, I think you're right I think Auburn has a better chance to beat Ole Miss at home next weekend under the lights now of course announced earlier today at six o'clock and then you've got uh, what Mississippi State and you've got Vanderbilt and I mean you have teams that Auburn should be better than coming up down the road and so Look, LSU's a fantastic offense, and Auburn's defense has been balling out, but it's a tall task to ask them to hold them under 30 points. I mean, I'm just going to be real. And so it's going to be all on Auburn's offense to – you can't get in a shootout with LSU because you're going to lose that. That's right. But that's the mismatch right there. Yeah, exactly. Even as poorly as as LSU's defense is playing, our offense kind of feeds into their defense. Yeah. We are the medicine they need. And their defense is the medicine we need on offense. You're absolutely right. That's a great way to put it. That's a great way to put it. Great, great job today. Appreciate it, Dak. Always great to hear from you, man. 334-321-1390. Would love to get anybody else's thoughts on on this conversation as we, uh, early in the week, we are already kind of looking towards LSU. Coming out of the bye week um, for Auburn, you had Hugh Freeze today talking uh, in his press conference. This is the first chance we've had to talk to him uh, as the media since the Georgia game, right? Since post-game of the Georgia game, he didn't have a weekly press conference this past week for for the bye week. Um, But look, he had really high things to say uh, about Jaden Daniels, about LSU, about the offense, and um, had great things just to say about the program, obviously playing at uh, Tiger Stadium there, Baton Rouge. Um, it, it's going to be a tough trip, and it always seems like Auburn plays LSU on the road at night, right? When crazy things happen and weird things happen in Baton Rouge when the sun goes down. But Auburn has to find a way to score, and I know that is the simplest thing you can ever say. But I think Dak put it really, really good right there, where he said lsu's defense is what auburn needs this weekend to kind of get out of this rut but lsu's defense has got to be thinking the exact same thing when they sit down and watch the film in this auburn offense they're like okay this auburn offense can run the ball that's the one thing they're good at is running the football and we have to worry about one less guy with damari austin who is not going to go this weekend so the lsu defense Go look at the roster. There are playmakers on that side of the football. I said this last week. LSU has really good players. The scheme and just the alignment and the communication is just not there right now 
for LSU to be competitive on the defensive side of the football. But if you watch the game on Saturday against Missouri, when they had to make plays, they did down the stretch. I mean, they got a pick six to clinch the game. So LSU's defense is, it's not playing well, but there are good players. And this is a perfect opportunity in their eyes to play what has been a bad Auburn offense to this point. And this is what could be a turning point for the LSU defense, just as we are saying this could be a turning point for the Auburn offense. So which one's going to win out, right? Which one's going to win the fight at the end of the 15th round? I don't know. I really don't know. But as I told Dak, Auburn's defense is playing lights out. I mean, they're playing as good as anybody in the country, I think. Now, you are dealing with injuries, and Hugh Freeze talked about Jalen Simpson when he went down in the Georgia game. That didn't help with Brock Bowers going off at the end and really was the difference in the football game. And he is day-to-day. I would expect him to go on Saturday. We'll find out, uh, is what Hugh Freeze said. So if Jalen Simpson doesn't play on Saturday, Auburn's in trouble. I'm just going to be really honest with you. If Jalen Simpson doesn't play on the defensive side, who is one of the best defensive players in all of college football, if he does not play for Auburn this coming Saturday, Auburn is in trouble. But if he does play, and Auburn can hold their own on defense, as I just said, it's a really tall task. It's a really hard thing for me if I was a head coach, if I was Hugh Freeze, or if I'm Ron Roberts to walk into my defense and say, you got to hold them under 30 points tonight. That's a tough thing to do. Because LSU is a really good football team, and their offense is unbelievable. They're putting up stupid numbers. Jaden Daniels is 31 yards shy of 2,000 yards passing, and we're six games into the season. He has 19 touchdowns and two interceptions. That doesn't count all of his crazy stats that are on the ground as well. It's unbelievable. The only team to hold them under 30 points this season is Florida State back in week one when LSU had every chance in the world and then they got dominated in the second half. But this is a different LSU offense since then. And so I wouldn't feel comfortable going to the defense and saying, hey, you got to hold them under 30 points tonight. Only one other team's done it. Good luck. You've got Jaden Daniels playing Heisman-level quarterback play and receivers that are just unbelievable. But you got to hold them under 30 points because the offense can't score more than 25. So you got to at least give us a chance. That's not fair. That's not a realistic expectation. And so that should worry some people, I think. Because that means Auburn's offense has to score 30 or 35 points. And I don't know if Auburn can do that. But a great chance to do it against a defense that is reeling when it comes to LSU. 334-321-1390. What are your thoughts on this? Would love to hear from you as we get into another game week for Auburn and LSU this weekend. Uh, We'll talk some more results from over the weekend in college football. Had some crazy games going on, uh, some big-time results in the SEC and around college football. Also, I asked this question in the first hour. I would love to ask you again, who's the best team in college football right now? Is it Georgia? Is it Michigan? Or is it somebody else? Because seems like there is some balance going on in college football, and just no one team has truly separated yet. What's your thoughts on that? 334-321-1390. We'll talk about all of that when we come back here on the Monday edition of On the Line. You are on the line. 
on ESPN 1067, online at ESPNAU.com or on the ESPN 1067 app. All right, back inside the studio as we are looking at, just heard the promo for it. So we're looking at our SEC football challenge uh, rankings on ESPNAU.com on our website. And I thought I had a good week. And I, look, I was looking at all the results, got it right, got it right, got it right, got all the way to the bottom and forgot that I guess on Friday I just picked AM. I don't remember doing that, but I picked AM on Friday. So uh that's unfortunate i guess 27 23 a&m and they lost 26 to 20 so like score wise i wasn't super far off but um yeah i don't remember picking a&m i think they should have won and i i'm not doubting it but that's that's hard that's disheartening anyway looking at the leaderboard just for a, a quick update on that and if you haven't been joining us in our sec football challenge you need to do that uh, espnau.com uh, it's where you find our podcast you can also find our contest going on which this one's running all season long um Thanks to our wonderful sponsors, Johnny Brusco's New York Style Pizza, the Orthopedic Clinic, Tzatziki's, and Vintage 2298 Butcher Shop. Uh, Each one of them uh, provide a weekly prize, and then at the end of the year, the winner will get all of the weekly prizes and then a 55-inch flat-screen smart TV. And with the bad weekend for me, I guess, I am now three back. The leaders are at 54 uh, Michaela, who is our producer intern this fall. Where are you at, Michaela? You were at 52, and I'm at 51. That's whatever. That's fine. I'm not mad about it. It's fine. That back, you know, down by three, but it seems like all the games have been pretty predictable, and then there's always one that I've been missing. Like this weekend, this weekend's okay. It's not great by any means. You've got Georgia Vanderbilt coming up. You do have A&M Tennessee. That's a good game. That's a fun one that I think could go either way. Uh, Alabama Arkansas. I mean, I think Alabama will probably handle business. Kentucky Missouri is interesting. Florida South Carolina is interesting, and then Auburn LSU is somewhat interesting. So this could be a really pivotal week in the SEC football challenge. You never know. You never know. But I am three back, so I got some ground to make up. Um, but quickly to once again recap just sort of a crazy weekend in college football uh, before we have Jacob Hillman of the Auburn Sports Network who will join us coming up at 3.30 in just a few minutes. It was a crazy weekend in college football you had Georgia Kentucky getting hyped up like it does every year and the result was the exact same as it always is Georgia manhandling Kentucky for four quarters and this thing was over by the first quarter Uh, they went 51 to 13 Michigan still rolling they haven't played anybody but they're rolling so give them credit I guess Uh, game of the weekend Oklahoma upsetting Texas in the Red River rivalry a great great game it lived up to everything I think both of these teams uh, will meet again in the Big 12 championship game and I think that'll be who makes it to the college football playoff Um, credit to Oklahoma playing a little defense huh how about that the Sooners playing defense for the first time in a long time Uh, you had Maryland hang around with Ohio State who I don't think is all that great Um, Florida State handled business they're back in action they're kind of rolling again USC what in the world Pac-12 after dark got extremely uh, crazy and weird on Saturday night you had USC have to go three overtimes to beat Arizona with Heisman Trophy winner Caleb Williams Uh, Notre Dame they fell flat on their face in prime time in a big game once again no shocker there just talked about Alabama and Texas A&M uh, Milrow came to play three touchdowns just the one interception and Alabama escapes with a win over Texas A&M 
You had Ole Miss and Arkansas playing in a really good game. Quietly was a one-score game. It was a touchdown game uh, there at the end. Uh, That was a good one. You had the insanely dumb play call in Miami to run the football where all they had to do was take a knee and you beat Georgia Tech. Instead, you fumble it. Georgia Tech, a couple plays later, throws a dime in the end zone and they upset Miami in what was just a crazy, crazy game. Um, We talked about LSU and Missouri and the shootout that that was. Um, So really good football this past weekend. Excited for what should be another exciting weekend coming up this weekend in college football as well. And so, again, until... um, until this weekend, we've got a lot to cover, right? Hugh Freeze had a press conference today. we got to talk about that still. We'll probably play that for you tomorrow on the show. But he had some interesting comments, and we'll talk about that with Jacob Hillman from the Auburn Sports Network coming up after the break. Plus, we got to talk Auburn soccer. We have to talk Auburn volleyball. we got to talk Auburn everything because it's been a great, great weekend for Auburn athletics and really the great week in the past week since I've been here. Uh, that Auburn athletics as a whole are playing really, really good. So we're going to talk about all of that with Jacob Hillman coming up. You are on the line with Jacob Goertz on ESPN 106.7, Auburn Opelika's sports leader. We've got 30 more minutes here on the Monday edition of On the Line. I'm Jacob Goins with you on ESPN 106.7. And joining us as he does every Monday. Didn't do it last Monday because uh, I skipped work because I was sick. And so I'm back this Monday, though, and great to have Jacob Hillman on the program once again representing the Auburn Sports Network. Hillman, happy Monday, man. Hope you're doing well. To hear you're doing better as well after uh, your little sickness that you got over and that I'm able to come back on the line. Yeah, well, I am feeling much better, thankfully. Uh, Still tired, but I'm always tired. So um, it is what it is. Um, But great to have you back on the show. Great to talk to you because we have a lot to talk about. And I know that Auburn didn't play a football game this weekend, but I do want to get your thoughts quickly on the Georgia game uh, since we haven't talked to you since then. And we got to hear from Hugh Freeze for the first time since then as well. And so just your overall thoughts from the Georgia game a couple of weeks ago and kind of the thought process throughout this bye week is it's now game week once again yeah I thought it was a big step forward for this team especially bouncing back from the Texas A&M game the way you did the the crowd was obviously as electric as you would have expected and I I think just about every phase of the offense and defense took a step forward and 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 really uh, set up its game uh, when it needed to most and, and and really played uh, how it needed to to compete with the best team in the nation. Obviously, there's still uh, uh, the fact that Auburn didn't throw for 100 yards in that game. That 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 is still something that Auburn can improve on. But the run game was there. Peyton Thorne really showed off with his legs as well as Jarquez Hunter and Brian Petit and Robbie Ashford in that game. So you, you really found a groove in the running game against what is probably uh, one of, if not the best front seven that you're going to face all year. Uh, so it's all about of the passing game and, and really, really trying to uh, open that up, whether that's receivers making plays or uh, Peyton Thorne finding ways uh, to open it up through the air. What does it say that Auburn was able to hang with the number one team in the country? We know it was at home, and we knew that was going to be a huge factor, and it was. Uh, but what, is it, what does it say that Auburn was able to hang with Georgia and had multiple opportunities to win, just couldn't quite get through? Yeah, I do think that, like you said, being at home, I think Jordan-Hare Stadium is about a 14-point 
swing and, and, and matters that much in a football game. And I think we're going to see that again when Ole Miss comes to town for the first night game of the Hugh Freeze era uh, against an SEC opponent. Uh, but, yeah, I think that it shows that Auburn's on track, that obviously what it took was Brock Bowers absolutely showing why he's the best tight end in the nation. And he is going to be one of the best tight ends, I think, in the NFL for years to come once he gets to that point. Um, that's what it took for Georgia to, to take down Auburn. And, and I think that's an important step where Auburn had Georgia on its heels, had Georgia exactly where it wanted to. But as the number one team in the nation does, it finds a way to win. And that's where Auburn hopes to be in, in a few years. But obviously it's not there yet. So I, I think just being in that ball game and, and really – uh, and really having a lead most of the game. I think, I mean, Auburn won that game through three quarters, but it, it just, that, that fourth quarter, obviously, uh, I think Georgia just found what it, what found its success and, and continued to exploit it. And, and Auburn got a little gas there. Injuries are still a bit of a concern and, and, and something that the bye week really helped with. So I, I just think that this team is on track. I think this program's on track. And, and obviously that was one of the biggest recruiting weekends of the year, if not the biggest. And, and I really think uh, Auburn impressed that weekend. Yeah, and of course now coming out of the bye week, uh, Hugh Freeze met with the media today uh, for the first time since the Georgia game after the bye week and was talking about the Georgia game and, and what was happening during the bye week and of course previewing LSU as well. And, and Hillman, I know you've seen the comments and heard it uh, since it happened this morning. He made some interesting comments about the bye week and some self-evaluation for this football team. Yeah, I think it's interesting how uh, I, I liked what he talked about uh, going into the bye week about kind of resting up and, and really not going too heavy into the LSU prep, a lot of individual drills and, and, and things of that nature to really hone in the skills. And I think that's really going to help also uh, with the offense and, and more so finding a flow there. I think that that's what, uh, it, it, what the offense is looking for most of all it, it is a flow because I think that it's clear that the explosive plays and uh, that there can be drives here and there, especially off of a turnover. Like, I, I look back to that, uh, to the drives that Auburn uh, had after forcing the, jer- the turnovers against Georgia, and, and you could just tell that when they get, went out there, they had the energy. They, they had what it took to go out and score. Uh, but it's about multiple of those drives, especially after a kickoff or, or, or a punt inside the 20-yard line. How, how does Auburn uh, convert on those? And, and, and I think that some of those individual drills honing in on those skills last week, plus – just a week off to really rest everyone's bodies and and hopefully you give back some of those bodies as well at full strength uh will really help Auburn and Baton Rouge against an LSU defense that obviously hasn't looked as strong now on the other side the Auburn defense has looked pretty strong and the LSU offense is obviously a juggernaut and Jaden Daniels is probably one of the best quarterbacks in the nation I think that that's something that uh now that you're heavy into LSU prep now that you're locked in and you're rested up, I think it's something that you're looking ahead to this game and thinking, okay, you just you just stood toe to toe with the best team in the nation. Now let's see if you can do it on the road against one of the best teams in the SEC. Uh, that's on a hot streak. Yeah, and it's funny, too, because I asked Hugh Freeze today about Jaden Daniels in LSU, and he mentioned it in his opening statement before they opened it up to questions, but I asked him the question about Jaden Daniels, who is throwing for almost 2,000 yards, has 19 touchdowns to two interceptions, and I said, Hugh, 
What's the game plan? How do you stop a guy like that? And how do you stop the offense? And he was really honest, Jacob Hillman. He said, I don't think you can stop him. I think you just have to limit them to field goals. And he said, to start out, that's going to be the mindset. And that may not be what people want to hear, but with an offense that's that good, that may just have to be the best strategy. Well, look, I think this game also is kind of the game where the the Auburn offense needs to show out and show up because, again, as good as that LSU offense is, what we've seen so far is the LSU defense is what holds that team back. It mm-hmm. is the reason it lost to Ole Miss, and and it, and it really never let uh, the LSU offense get into a groove in that opening loss against Florida State. I think this is where uh, the Auburn offense can figure things out, and it's it's a really really good test for this Auburn defense, especially now that it's rested up. And um, I mean, if you if you go into LSU and obviously. We can talk about how that curse got snapped two years ago. This is the last time you're playing LSU in in the yearly schedule. You want to have a a good taste in your mouth after this game, especially with the rivalry uh, not really coming to an end, but on a yearly basis, it is coming to an end. So I I think there's a lot at stake here this week, and uh, it's exciting to see uh, the build-up to it. Jacob Hillman of the Auburn Sports Network joining us on the phone lines. He's with me every Monday at 3.30 during On the Line here on ESPN 106.7. I know Auburn football was off this weekend, but man, there were some other Auburn athletics teams that were on this weekend and top 25 wins everywhere. I mean, I'm going to open the floor up to you and let you talk about it. Uh, you had volleyball, soccer. I mean, just tell everybody what's going on in Auburn athletics because it is at its peak right now. Yeah, I've got. I basically have a whole monologue prepared for this part because <laughs> it, you can't say enough about some of these programs and what they did this weekend. I'll start with uh, Equestrian, who's obviously been uh, just a force in the NCEA uh, over the last several years, taking down number seven Baylor on the road, sixteen to three. That's a dominant performance, and uh, they'll be on the road at UT Martin uh, this Friday, and then back home for its next home match on October twentieth. So the day before that, Ole Miss. Uh, game for football uh question will be hosting georgia for its breast cancer awareness meet at three o'clock at the auburn university equestrian center but i i mean i really think the story is volleyball and soccer what what they did because obviously equestrian will will go into the spring and then national championships are um in april so you still got a long season there but volleyball and soccer are coming into crunch time and are really making some statement wins. And I'll start with volleyball on the road at Florida, getting its first ever win in Gainesville uh, in a sweep over a top 10 opponent that there were a lot of notable things about that win. And I mean, really it, it was an impressive showing. And then to stay on the road and go to South Carolina, you fall, you, you fall two sets to one behind, and then you rally to win that one in five. I thought it was a really impressive weekend for this program and this team because uh, it's been a lot of split weekends where uh, Auburn lost to Florida but then bounced back and beat Ole Miss in weekend number one and then uh, lost to Arkansas but then beat Georgia. It was nice to get a 2-0 weekend, especially now that you're going to go face a Tennessee team on the road. That has one loss this year, and that one loss is to number one Wisconsin who seems like an unstoppable force right now. So your, your toughest test is on the horizon this Friday at Tennessee. Uh, in Knoxville so I think this volleyball team really has the talent it's finally starting to get healthy Um, Kendall Kemp Zoe Slaughter they're back in the lineup and they're able to play so exciting to see that Madison Shear earn SEC player of the week uh, for her weekend because I mean she she has been the offensive spark 
uh, for the Tigers. And uh, she, she has really been efficient on her attacking skills. Uh, she had a career-high 667 hitting percentage against wow. the Gators. So she had 18, 14 kills on 18 attempts. That, that, is, a, that is a high mark uh, for a pin hitter like Madison Shear. Moving on to soccer, though, I mean, you, you can't ask for much more than snapping, a, I think it was a nine-game losing streak to a team, maybe seven-game losing streak to a team, but uh, beating number six Arkansas at home. It, it, it's been a weird – the way the schedule is laid out, it's been weird for soccer where you've gotten some big wins, but followed up by maybe a 0-0 tie against Ole Miss, and then you have a two, two-match losing streak, but then to bounce back the way you do against Arkansas at home in front – of your your home fans, uh, that that's a big deal. And and Arkansas is one of the team, one of the best teams in the country. It's the premier team, I think, in the SEC. Uh, so snapping that losing streak against them, and also getting your first top ten win since 2017, first ranked win since 2021, mm. that 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 does a lot uh, for this team going forward. Because you're also uh, at the point where you're you're thinking about where uh, the standings are for the SEC. Cause not, it, this, this is different from like the SEC basketball tournament or the SEC softball tournament. It's more like the SEC baseball tournament where not every single uh, team makes the tournament. So you've got to finish uh, in, the top, uh, in the top 10 to make that. And right now Auburn is, is trending that way uh, with a 1-2-1 uh, record in the division. So I, I think that's a big deal getting that win, and it really propels you towards that uh, SEC tournament. Yeah, just a couple of comments on on all of that, Hillman. And I know you've you've had that ready to go all day. I know you've been waiting to get all that out. But um, a couple of comments on that. The soccer one to start, man, that was that was an absolute dart by Sydney Thibodeau. Is that that she was yeah. the one that scored the final goal? That was an yeah. unbelievable shot. And look, I'm not the biggest soccer person in the world. I don't think that's a secret, but. That was an absolute missile that she launched yep. to the top right corner. And I don't care who the goalie was, they weren't getting to it. And a huge win for Albert Soccer. Well, yeah, Thibodeau is one of those players that uh, Co- Coach Hoppe really, really enjoys watching. Uh, she, she comes through in the biggest moment. She is kind of like Anna Haddock for the opening goal. She, she's kind of the senior veteran leader on this team. But Thibodeau has all the talent in the world to do that. And, and, and the fact that it was, it was tied up, it was 1-1 uh, after Arkansas opened up the scoring in the second half. And, I mean, it took six minutes for Auburn to answer back and take the lead and, and held on to that lead. So it, it's all about finding their roles. A lot of these players, uh, it, it's taken some time, but now they're seeing where they can be the most successful and, and, and they're making the most of it. And, and, and Hillman, on the volleyball side of things, I, I bring it up so much and I always, I just can't help it because I, I look back to you and me, right? Being back in college with Weagle and yeah. calling volleyball games on the sideline when this team and this program, not only could they not win matches, Jacob, they couldn't win sets. They were getting swept 3-0 no matter who walked in the building there at Neville Arena, what was Auburn Arena, now Neville Arena. And now they're going on the road and sweeping top 10 programs all time in college volleyball. It really, really is a unbelievable turnaround and a coaching job by Brent Crouch. We have him on the program periodically. and It's just it's such a, a special thing to watch with what's happening with volleyball right now. Yeah, and I think something to mention is also going into that Florida match at home that Auburn lost in five sets. I don't think Auburn has won a set against Florida in, in several years. Mm-hmm. It's just a crazy stat like that. And then you come back, you bounce back from that home loss and sweep them on the road. It, yes, it, it is absolutely 
a, a signature win for this program for Brent Crouch and and, and really is propelling this team uh, to do bigger and better things. Obviously, last year was a historical season, just making it to the Sweet 16, getting a win over Creighton, who is a big volleyball school, especially being in Nebraska. And now you're going to have another opportunity just this Friday to, to have another monumental win against Tennessee. Uh, the Tigers will be back home October 20th as well. So you can make a whole weekend out of some Auburn athletics. If you want, if you, if you, so that Friday before the Ole Miss game, go to Equestrian and then head over to Neville Arena for volleyball against Missouri. It, it's really something special that's being built there. Uh, the atmosphere is incredible and, and the team is obviously performing up to those standards. Jacob Hillman of the Auburn Sports Network. He joins me every Monday. Had tons to talk about today, even with Auburn football being on a bye week. Just so many great things going on around Auburn athletics. And we appreciate you joining me and and, and updating our listeners on everything going on in Auburn athletics. Uh, Quickly, before we let you get out of here, plug everything you got going on, everything the Auburn Sports Network is up to, as uh, Andy and the guys will be making a trip down to Baton Rouge this weekend. Yeah, they will. Follow me on Twitter at Jacob Hillman AU. Follow at uh, follow the Auburn Sports Network at AU Sports Network. Uh, Tiger Talk, Wings 94-3, Thursday, 6 Central. Hugh Freeze uh, will be there to talk the bye week and previewing LSU as well. Uh, it should be a fun weekend in Baton Rouge. Yes, it will be, and looking forward to it. You guys do a fantastic job. Jacob, as always, man, appreciate catching up with you. Always a, f- a blast to talk to you, and we'll have you on next Monday. I appreciate the time, Jacob. War Eagle. That's Jacob Hillman of the Auburn Sports Network, who did a fantastic job recapping what's been a really, really great stretch of of, of wins for Auburn athletics in general. Um, and definitely want to get that out there and pump all that up as much as possible. Um, and I'm really trying to get uh, head coach Brent Crouch back on the program. You know, I like to have him on periodically. He's a great guy. I've been following him, uh, like I said, since I was in college, calling games for for Weagle. And so uh, trying to get him back on the program. He's a busy man now and everybody everybody wants to talk to volleyball now that they're off and doing big time things and we're trying to get it back on the show but Jacob Hillman always appreciate his time great friend of mine and does a wonderful job with the Auburn Sports Network we'll take our final break come back and wrap it up here on the Monday edition of On the Line on ESPN 106.7 you are on the line on ESPN 106.7 call in at 334-321-1390 or toll free at 888-382-7502 winding down here on the monday edition of on the line been a great show it's really flown by um here on a monday maybe it's because i wasn't here last monday and maybe it's just glad to be i'm really just glad to be back and healthy thankfully um but great to be here again once on a monday um i know it's coming out of the bye week so it wasn't as much auburn football to talk about but we did have some good conversations about auburn and and i think we're going to continue to have good conversations as the week goes on because this is a big game coming up this weekend Auburn LSU not only is the rivalry itself a big game um, but the the stakes are really really high for two teams that I think have they had higher expectations um, especially LSU uh, I mean a team that's four and two at this point in the season that expected to be six and0 oh, um, and a team that was trying to make a push to Atlanta and trying to uh, be a dark horse for the college football playoff. When they're putting up 40 points a game and yet you've still lost two games, 
it's just it's a tough scene there in Baton Rouge so a big game coming up this weekend of course we will preview it all week long um, but on the show today we talked a little bit about Auburn uh, in the bye week talked a little bit about uh, Hugh Freeze's comments today in his press conference his weekly press conference Uh, we talked about the all the great games from over the weekend in college football had some great Braves Today podcast audio for you uh, from Ben Taylor and Lindsey Crosby with Braves Today and Bravestoday.com they recap capped game one of the NLDS between the Philadelphia Phillies and the Atlanta Braves. That was on Saturday when the Braves went cold offensively and the Phillies won three to nothing. They also previewed game two, which is tonight. And if you've missed our announcement, uh, we are carrying that. It's on. It's an ESPN broadcast. And so we are going to carry that right here on ESPN 106.7. Uh, pregame is at 4.30. But uh, we are going to pick it up right at 5 o'clock with first pitch set for 5.07. And so what that means is the drive coming up with Bill and Dan, uh, they're going to have the first hour of their show. And then uh, we're going to have the Braves game take over uh, for game two uh, of the NLDS. It's sort of going to be... Uh, on a game-by-game basis and I don't think we're doing it later on in the week but with it being Monday coming out of the bye week and not as much Auburn to talk about uh, we wanted to be able to carry the Braves postseason for you and hopefully we get more Braves games but if they keep falling asleep at at the home plate we may not have very many games for you so we are going to have game two tonight at five o'clock right at the top of the hour we'll pick it up and we'll have first pitch for you between the Braves and the Phillies so that's what's coming up here on ESPN 106.7 excited for that Uh, hopefully the Braves can wake up and do something offensively um, and get that going as well tomorrow we'll talk about the Braves game we'll start talking even more about Auburn and LSU we'll have Daryl Daprich for double D he'll be joining me on the Tuesday edition of on the line and as the week goes on we'll continue to preview a massive matchup in Baton Rouge this weekend between Auburn and LSU don't go anywhere though the drive the first hour coming up and then Braves and Phillies game two of the NLDS right here on ESPN 106.7